Hey, I'm your host, George Payne, and welcome to Build Up Africa, a podcast brought to you by Adiverse in which we explore the rapidly developing African tech landscape with a focus on Web3, entrepreneurship, and investing. You can listen to Build Up Africa on YouTube, Medium, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. In today's episode, we're discussing the question, is Africa an investable destination? With leading technology investors from Google, CMT Digital, Jedi Capital, Adiverse, and Everest Ventures Group, with a keynote introduction speech from Brighter Bridges, a leading think tank focused on innovation, technology, and private sector development across emerging markets. So first, we're going to go through some uh, introductions for all the panelists. Um, first, we'll start with Josh. Um, so Josh um, from Britter Bridges is based in Nairobi. Um, Joshua is an avid member of Africans uh, of Africa's innovation and investment scene, having worked at the intersection of business, impact, and technology in Africa for more than a half a decade. At Britter, Joshua leads investor relations and ecosystem engagement efforts in creating and nurturing relationships with innovation stakeholders, thereby catalyzing growth of African economies through entrepreneurship. Um, William um, from Adiverse is the investment manager at Adiverse and Future Hub Africa. He's based in Lagos. He has overseen close to um, 40 Web3 deals across nine different African countries. Prior to entering the blockchain space, William worked in traditional finance in London after graduating from Cambridge in 2020. Um, Mo, um, who will be joining in a bit, um, Mo is the co-founder of Cassava Network, a Web3 infrastructure and rewards protocol for the African continent and an investment manager at Adiverse. He has past experience in PE and VC, fundraising and venture building. He's recently na- uh, nominated to Forbes 30 under 30. Uh, Joseph from CMT Digital is an investment partner and head of um, EMEA at CMT Digital. He focuses on thesis formation, deal sourcing, research, and international expansion. Prior to joining CMT Digital, Joseph spent nearly a decade in venture capital and private equity roles in both the U.S. and abroad. Um, Joseph holds a BSBA in economics from Crichton University and an MBA from INSEAD in Singapore. Um, And then Femi. Um, Femi is a startup fund manager at Google, overseeing the regional execution program strategy for Google's Black Founders Fund in Africa. He's passionate about customer-centric innovation and helping technology startups scale their solutions across different African communities. Um, And then lastly, um, Sheriff Sheriff, um, is the founder of GDAR Capital. Sharif is an experienced investor and specializing in African and Middle Eastern markets. His impressive career includes successful tenure as the commercial director Arpu Plus, the biggest mobile services provider in the Middle East. In 2020, um, Sharif established GDAR Capital, highlighting his focus on transformative investing in key sectors such as financial inclusion, health services, and digital retail transformation. Uh, Sharif brings a unique perspective to the table, acting as a bridge between the US, Middle East, and African regions in pursuit of impactful investment opportunities. Um, so with that, uh, we're gonna get started um, and we're going to hand, hand it off to um, Joshua to give us our keynote presentation. Um, looks like we have a question in here. Okay. Um, so Joshua, uh, feel free to um, go ahead. Fantastic. I hope that uh, everyone can see my screen now. Yep. Great. Thanks, Ashan. Um, 
Good evening, good afternoon from where you are. Um, as aptly introduced by Ishan, my name is Joshua. And I come from this organization called Brighter Bridges. Um, and um, thanks so much to the team at that advice for giving us this opportunity to um, sort of set the context to this conversation. Um, I understand that uh, the discussion today will be about whether or not Africa is an investable destination. But I guess the question should be whether or not it is still an investable destination. And I will um, share our observations in as to why we think that's the case. So over the course of the next 10 to 20 minutes, I want to um, share uh, our observation in a, in, a, in, a, in a rather visual manner as to how um, the startup investment scene in Africa has um, you know, evolved. Um, so what I'm going to do uh, is that I'm going to, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, make um, uh, more foray into what Brighter is. I will also share um, a historical overview, really, of uh, where we're coming from um, and dive a little bit deeper into you know, uh, a bit of analysis. Uh, looking at sectors, um, deals, and investors. Um, and I think these three pillars would form the core of the discussion um, this evening. So who is brighter? Um, I, I seem to understand that some of us have interacted with the, this name Brighter, but Brighter is loosely um, a market intelligence company that is focused on emerging markets or uh, much more broadly underserved economies. Um, you know, five years ago, six years ago or, or more, you know, the first thing that came to your mind, you know, after hearing the word Africa was probably um, a young kid sitting out in the middle of the Sahara Desert with, you know, malnutrition, mucus from their, from their noses. Um, there was nothing in the, in the name and, and shape and fashion of a flatter or, or a paystack, right, or a silicon savanna. So we, we literally exist to showcase this brighter sides. Um, so, and, and in this journey, we've been privileged to work with some of the leading names, including that of us. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great privilege to share some of this observation because of our um, existence. Right, so is Africa an investable destination? I think it is an investable destination. It has been an investable destination, right? Um, currently, we we count more than 10,000 companies actually that, uh, or, or tech companies much more broadly that operate within the space, right? Um, and we just recently crossed the 21 billion uh, mark. So the total value of, of, of you know, uh, tech investments made into um, the continent startups have, have is more than 21 billion now. Um, there are more than ever, uh, more investors that uh, contribute to the, uh, continent's capital stack. So looking at more than 2,000 investors, um, 1,000 um, incubators, accelerators, and, and, and we have some, uh, some of the notable ones um, in, in this discussion today, included the Google uh, Black Founders uh, one. But how did we actually get here, right? Um, I think we, we started seeing a spike in, in back in the days in 2014, right? Um, and the reality is that then, especially in Kenya and uh, uh, some of the happier markets, is that uh, the mobile money 
impact investing where we've sort of kicked off uh, what is seen to be um, the digital and green um, ecosystem that we know of as of today, right? You know, looking at clean cookstoves, um, solar home systems, right? Mobile lending and all of those models started um, sort of coming up from, from um, those periods, right? We started seeing more, um, you know, DFI and, and, and donor commitments, philanthropic commitments to, um, that were really centered around um, sparring digital economies, right? Um, then we, we evidently saw some sort of massive boom before, before COVID. And, and when COVID struck, of course, there was some sort of slowdown. Um, but the reality is that, um, and in our know, assessment, we, we saw a lot of um, investors sort of holding in the money. Um, and once COVID uh, was out of the way, then there was you know, really increased liquidity. But the, co the contemporary question of the day is that, is there a slowdown, right? Um, and, and depending on who you speak to, there is a slowdown. I mean, if you look at the statistics and numbers don't lie, um, things have slowed down a bit. But you know what? Hey, it's perhaps too early to, to say. Um, at Brighter, we count more than $2 billion of deals that were invested um, this year so far. So that is H1 2023, which is by no means um, a marginal amount, okay? Um, but, you know, comparing the growth rates across the years, um, you know, that has slowed down in a bit. Why is that the case? I will leave it up to um, the fellow discussants um, in this conversation today. But some things are clear. More companies are raising um, their $1 million round as before, right? I mean, if you look at uh, you know, the, the early days and right now, um, the number of companies that have at least raised $1 million um, in, in rounds or, or total disclosed funding volumes are, have, have, have quadrupled, right? Um, and these are you know, close to 700 companies. Um, and if you look at uh, the, the 2018 period, it was only uh, about 460, right? So there is a much more bigger opportunity, or at least investors are seeing bigger opportunities worth, worth their money, right? Um, we, we all know of this uh, particular phrase called the big four, um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's pretty much the case when it comes to funding distribution um, and concentration across the continent, right? So of course, uh, the Nigerias, the the, the Kairos, um, the Nairobi's, and, and the Cape Towns lead in terms of um, um, you know funding or volumes and activity. Um, but we are seeing more democratization um, in the sense that we are now starting to have uh, what we call tier two tier three countries actually picking up. And the question then is, where is the resilience? And uh, the answer is probably that the resilience is in these tier two, tier three countries, right? So looking at Morocco, Tunisia, Ghana, right? Um, Tanzania, right? Uh, we have seen some remarkable deals being, being made um, in these countries. And this was not really the case um, seven to, to eight years ago, right? So all in all, yes, um, the value of investment has progressively increased year in year. Um, the number of deals as well has, has increased. So we count an average of 70% year on year. Um, there exists, right? Um, venture capital investors in the continent don't really count 
um, you know, the IPOs as 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 as, as kind of the most popular exit route. But uh, uh, we have we are seeing M and A. Um, we are also seeing um, liquidity events. Um, you know, uh, pre-seed investors existing exiting at the Series A um, sort of stage. Um, so they are exiting the continent. Um, and and investors, companies alike, are getting much more focused and much more um, specialized. And which brings me to uh, kind of the next um, topic um, for the day. So really looking at what are some of the most interesting sectors. And of course, um, if you look at the stats, fintech, yeah, um, everyone's darling, um, and and because payments, but what are some of the most uh, kind of emerging um, products within fintech? Um, we're seeing crypto, of course, um, growing year on year. Um, we're seeing um, kind of cross-sectional products, um, especially now with this, um, you know, climate wave. We're seeing more, um, you know, fintech products gathered around you know, climate finance, for example, um, taking up. We're seeing more of asset finance and 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 B two B lending um, oriented products still picking up, um, despite um, kind of general market feelings around uh, the relative composition or concentration of, of of players and investors alike within fintech, right? But again, as with ge the geographical situation, um, sectoral diversification is. Is is appearing more than ever, right? Um, I mean, if you ask me, what are some of the emerging spaces? Of course, climate tech is one of them, right? Um, we're seeing more resilience as well in terms of both deal activity and deal sizes within the healthcare space, right? Within agro, within clinter, right? Um, so more products are increasingly uh, beyond fintech. That is, are increasingly uh, beginning to attract investment, um, and investors are setting up. Um, you know, deliberate, uh, aggressive investment vehicles to invest in these uh, products. So, I mean, it's a, it's not really a big four conversation all across um, all the teams in the sense that um, from a sectoral perspective, there's more diversification um, in, in, in the different markets of the continent, right? So, for example, if you look at the, 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 the top four countries, you'll see that fintech leads. But if you look at North Africa and Francophone Africa, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a somewhat different story. Healthcare, for example, is, is actually the leading sector there, right? So it's, um, it's not a one-size-fits-all across, across the continent. Of course, uh, given um, our relative differences um, in terms of market, in terms of culture, um, in terms of regulations across the continent, right? So, so um, investors are increasingly becoming more deliberate and, and, and conscious about how they invest across the um, across the space. Equity is the go to uh, go to go um, instrument, but again, um, you know, given the the relative uh, kind of hardships uh, experienced within these. Uh, funding raising environment. I think we we're seeing more um, novel uh, instruments such as such as venture venture debt, right? So um, from the conversations that we have had with investors, that we see that uh, you know it's getting much more harder to close the next round. So um, investors are setting up these um, facilities 
you know, venture debt facilities uh, um, to take care of the bridge rounds for for their portfolios, right? So, um, and this comes come in the nature of unspecified, undisclosed deals, and and we are seeing more of those um, of late. Uh, but the reality still remains that there is um, what you can call a funding bottleneck, right? Um, it's relatively easier to to um, to raise capital at the earliest of stages, but uh, if you go to the later stages, it, it becomes harder. And and some of you might say, well, that should be the case, right? It should be a funnel shift. Um, and 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 but this presents a big problem in the sense that um, the types of of investors that invest at these stages are, are actually different, especially looking at. Um, looking at uh, uh, um, um, a geographical perspective or a source of capital perspective, right? So gross state deals, the biggest protagonists are the international investors who for obvious reasons right now, you will agree with me that uh, um, they have diverted their focus elsewhere, right? Um, at, least, uh, at the earliest of stages, pre-seed seed, you'll find that uh, we we have local local investors, local funds that, that take care of those, right? Um, and and you know, uh, of course, this calls for for more uh, concentration of local uh, growth stage funds. Um, that of course we started seeing earlier this year with the likes of Patek uh, closing their newest fund. Uh, we need more of those, right? So there's some sort of a seed ceiling for majority of startups, right? Um, both by uh, deal sizes and, and and by deal activity. So yeah, I mean, hey, there's a there's a big tapped opportunity when it comes to growth set funding, and and this might be the hottest thing yet, right? So getting past that seed stage, getting past that pre-series A and series A stage, um, to series D and F, right? So there's some sort of fall, um, in terms of deal activity and and volume at at those stages, right? So. Um, but we are seeing uh, an increasing um, sort of growth in the number of local investors who are trying to to actively raise um, funds that, that can take on the ten million dollars plus, um, you know, deal sizes, right? Um, so, but what's really the opportunity? Uh, of course, the larger majority of the opportunity is get towards the earliest of stages. So. The larger majority of the companies are at the you know seed and pre-seed um, stages. Uh, more than fifteen hundred of them, right? Um, but still, there's a gross stage opportunity in the sense that we count more than one hundred and fifty or so companies that are ready and ripe for the pre uh, for the Series A and and, and uh, Series B rounds, right? Um, and if you look at the Sunicons, I think right now we have uh, close to, to 70 companies that are, that are soon to become um, unicorns, right? So there is a massive opportunity, however you want to, um, to, to look at it. Great. So, so just going back to my earlier point around, around um, M&A, I mean, it's becoming more clear, um, um, but in terms of exit, I think the opportunity is much more bigger when you look at, um, you know, liquidity around, right? Um, so the number of investors that have been able to exit the positions that they say the Series A uh, sort of stage or seed stage are, are, are um, you know, more than ever, right? So, um, and, and this is good because we are seeing more angels being motivated um, to either structure 
um, the activity through to syndicates or, or even invest solo um, because there is a bigger case um, to exit at, exit at the next round, right? Are we going to see more M&A this year? Um, certainly so. Um, is it from a strategic viewpoint? Maybe not. Maybe it's from a survival um, kind of type of tactic. Uh, but for sure, we're going to see more consolidation um, over the course of the year. Um, and, and this is a bit some, some analysis that we did in the past to, to really test um, kind of the appetite or, or the attractiveness when it comes to exit in the continent. And, and what's, what's really interesting is that we found that from a performance viewpoint, um, some of the tier two, tier three countries are much more attractive to, um, to invest, given the fact that the number of exits that, you know, companies have been able to yield there um, are, 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 are immense compared to, to the top countries. So, you know, like Ghana, Senegal, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, Tunisia, right? Um, so it's much more palatable and, 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 and for, for investors to, to, to um, dedicate the capital towards those geographies because um, the likelihood of you know, M&A within those geographies is, is higher than, than in the top big four um, countries. But, but who is really investing um, in the continent? So of course, it's, it's a VC um, play, right? The majority are VCs. Um, but let's not overlook the role that DFIs have to play, right? Either from um, 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 an LP perspective, but also from a retail investment perspective, right? So, so more than ever, we're starting to see, you know, your, your big DFIs making direct investment, right? Um, and this is critical, especially in times like this, uh, because the current conversation out there in the market and in the industry is one main question, who has the liquidity at this point? So yes, we see liquidity with you know, the DFIs who in one way or another find a way to invest even in the, the most um, um, you know, tricky of situations. We see liquidity with, with the private equity guys who are um, not only setting deliberate uh, you know, uh, specific funds towards you know, growth opportunities. So mentioning the likes of um, um, Helios Digital Ventures and, and so on. Um, but also investing directly in, in companies. So um, actually looking at a historical uh, sort of overview, we count more than 100, 100 PE investors who have um, invested in startups, right? Um, you know, uh, before we used to think that, you know, growth funding or, or venture risk, risk capital is, is a preserve for the VC investors, but, uh, you know, the statistics actually prove, prove us strong. And, and these are the guys with the liquidity. So, um, and this is some of the PE guys, uh, PE investors who have uh, deployed capital so far um, in this past. Then, um, as mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the growth stage play is largely um, an international investor play, um, but we're seeing more liquidity um, from another perspective with investors who are based out of Africa, but in Asia to be specific, right? So we're seeing more CVCs uh, based out of say, you know, Japan, China, uh, Singapore, um, investing in these otherwise, um, you know, rocky times in the African startup ecosystem, right? So this speaks to into how, um, you know, African founders can try to, to structure and strategize around um, their fundraising strategy, right? And then finally, as to investor types, um, Again, 
services, uh, we are seeing more, uh, you know, corporate venture capital um, outfits being set up. I know recent news about about NASPA is shutting down, but but that's that's just one case, right? So uh, we're still seeing a majority of of, of the big, um, you know, corporate um, um, organizations such as Misui, um, you know, doubling down on the presence in terms of VC investments um, in the continent. So I want to to stop this um, um, sort of presentation at this point and 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 look at some of the questions. So um, over to you, Ishan. Um, yeah. So first of all, uh, Joshua, thank you so much. This was a very insightful, um, fantastic presentation. I, I definitely um, learned a lot. Um, and got a finger on the pulse on kind of what's happening. Um, so yeah, now we will go into um, a little bit of the discussion. Um, and I'll just preface this by saying, um, yeah, so everyone can turn on their cameras now. Uh, it should work. Um, and I'm going to give everyone, I have it designed so that um, we'll, we'll do five minutes per question. And then I would ask that you give around two minutes, 30 seconds for your answer, right? Um, so be succinct, but also be able to convey the, the relevant information. Um, so we'll start off with the first question. So this will go to Joshua and then we'll go to Shuri. Um, the question is, what unique factors in, African, in Africa's current landscape make it an, an attractive destination for tech investments right now? And then also the follow-up to that is how does the socio-economic dynamic influence this? So Joshua, you can you can take this first. Um, thanks for the question, and and I think I'll I'll use an often overused phrase around the fact that uh, the majority of, of the African founders um, innovate around critical problems, right? Um, so and and this is still the case seven to ten years um along the line i think most of uh, the you know problems that are worth solving or are being solved by the founders are you know get around what you'd call sort of impact around financial access um access to energy still you know access to 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 proper healthcare, um access to meaningful employment and jobs and, and livelihoods right so however you'd want to look at it all of these products in a way have that um angle to 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 the value propositions now what this means is that uh, the problems being solved are still very valid right um there is a kind of a significant market um uh, for these solutions not only in the individual countries of operation but across the continent and and looking at um kind of the size of the continent its population then um, this reveals um, kind of a significant market. So from an investor perspective, we'll be looking at companies that are looking to sort of really scale their, their operations and, 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 and the reach of the solutions across the African market. And, and I think most of the companies at least communicate um, their direction in such, in such a manner. Um, yeah, and, and I think that answers both the social economic sort of perspective as to yeah. why Africa is still... Uh, an interesting uh, just yeah no for sure thank you thank you uh thank you for that and then i'll pose the same question to uh sharif um so just a reminder the question was what unique factors in africa's current landscape make it an attractive destination for tech investments right now 
And then the follow-up question to that is, how does the socioeconomic dynamic influence this? Um, so I think you're muted right now. I'll ask you to unmute. Uh, yep, you're good. I think we're good now. No, I, I agree with Joshua in, in, in the sense that uh, definitely one of the things is that, yeah, I mean, founders are looking to solve these problems that are massive. I mean, and even though these are different countries, I mean, the continent has 54 countries um, and every country is different actually i mean a lot of people think that uh, you can look at it as, as if not as countries but even as regions but even though uh, when you look at east africa i mean countries in east africa are different and so on but still i think the the, the major problem or the core of the problem is the same across uh, different markets for multiple countries which then for from the investment perspective creates uh, a larger, I would say, market block. Uh, not necessarily the 54 countries, but you can easily look to solve this problem in at least 20 uh, countries across maybe seven, eight years as the founders expand into uh, different countries. Um, I want to go as well to another aspect, which is the, the demographics part, which is uh, the age of the population in Africa. And, and again, I think most of the reports, uh, I mean, touch on, on, on this point, but it's really crucial and important to look at it because I think this is one of the important factors. Uh, when you look at Europe or US, I think most of the, even global companies and multinational companies starting to realize that they are close to saturation there and they, they need to look at geographies and countries where the population are young. And uh, I think Africa is one of the youngest uh, population uh, globally. Uh, I think uh, the, the latest report was, I mean, 40 or 50% is at the age of 15 and younger. And uh, even uh, the, the, the workforce uh, age by 2050, uh, 50% of the global working age will be in Africa. And when you look at this from this perspective, this creates the, the huge market we're speaking about. Because again, for, for, a, for a population that is young, I mean, working age, this will create the middle class that can actually purchase and utilize services, as well as due to their age, they are open to use and utilize tech-based solutions, which is the, the case for most of the, I would say, startups that are that trying to solve traditional problems using technology as well. So I think the demographic part and the, the age part is, is one of the aspects that is crucial. Uh, secondly, it's the, the, the market where Africa is still untapped. We're still very far. So I mean, from investment perspective, you can bet that you can see like huge growth rate for the next probably decade at least because of this i would say uh, we're away from being at par at a lot of infrastructure things i mean one of them is uh, the internet penetration 
it's it's still uh, even though it's fast growing mobile penetration and mobile uh, like usage across Africa is high like in, in, in some countries it's 90 percent of the population they have they own a mobile and there is this transformation into uh, I mean with, the, with, with cheaper uh, smartphones more and more people as as well I mean they're not just mobile connected but they they hold in their hands uh, uh, a fully connected or all-time connected device so uh, i think this is another factor as well that the the, the content is so much untapped in, in a lot of services and solutions whether infrastructure and so on uh, that creates a huge potential in the future for growth uh, from the investment perspective Absolutely. Perfect. Right on time. Uh, so just for reference, I gave everyone uh, equal speaking time. Uh, so we're, we're right on schedule. And, and thank you uh, for that, uh, both Sharif and Joshua. Just to reiterate, uh, completely agree that, um, you know, Africa represents, you know, untapped potential, untapped markets. And with, you know, the young and growing population increasing mobile and internet penetration um, and, and the, you know, the chance to solve you know, very core, um, in some cases, infrastructure, very core, deep issues, it pre presents the opportunity um, for some innovative solutions. So totally agree. Um, we're going to move on to the next question. Um, so we're going to start with um, Femi, and then we're going to go to Sharif again. So the question is, in light of the global technolo technological advance advancements, um, recent ones, how have how has the African tech ecosystem evolved over the past few years? And what are some of the salient trends emerg emerging from this evolution? Um, so we'll give this to Femi to start off. Thank you, Sean. Um, so I think, to be honest, Joshua touched on a lot of these amazing points earlier around the trends. Um, I, I'll start off with the investment points. Um, he, I believe he mentioned that number of exits um, pre 2010 um, was under 10, and you know right now moving into 2022 is over 40. The number of companies that have raised a million and above have more than quadrupled since 2018. So uh, Africa is trending upwards in most metrics that you'd look at from um, a VC funding standpoint. I mean, we understand what's happening in the current landscape, so we can't pretend like. Um, Africa be any different, but um, from an investment standpoint, we're moving in the right direction from a trend standpoint. Um, the diversity of sectors that were um, postulated earlier, um, you know, speaking, moving away from the, you know, the big fintech, which has been dominant for a number of years, moving into more personally interesting sectors um, like the e-commerce space. One thing that I've particularly found quite interesting recently has been how um, you see a lot of operators building solutions um, that are leveraging technology and then catering it to Africa. So having that nice digital physical mix, which I believe is quite essential in a lot of cases to drive innovation in Africa, um, rolling out and spreading the use of things like USSD for those that are lower in the pyramid. Um, so bottom of the pyramid and informal mass as an example to make sure that they are at least not left out as far as the innovation trend goes. Um, other things that are particularly interesting to me, especially with some of the rise in the um, African innovation space, has been the amount of homegrown-led startups. Um, considering the nature of my of my um, of the job that I do with Google, I mean, I'm kind of privy to seeing a lot of um, 
I'm seeing how funding into Africa, or I'm sensitive to seeing how funding into Africa is going into the right people, um, not kind of circulating within the same hands, and seeing how there's more local and homegrown talent. So those who schooled in Africa, were born in Africa, and seeing how they're building interesting solutions. That's particularly one trend that I've seen that's quite interesting. So um, I'm sure I'll touch on a few more as we go on, but um, these are some of the highlights that have come up. Well, last one was also local tech hubs that have come up. And you see these accelerator initiatives pushing through, which are essential for moving the early stage startups through the pipeline. So these are just high level. Um, we'll touch on Absolutely. more as we go on. No, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then um, as mentioned before, I, I've kind of divvied up the questions. So the next, um, we'll pose this question to uh, Sharif again. Um, so, and yes, may I also ask, try to keep your answer like two to three minutes. Uh, um, so yes, go ahead. Uh, just a reminder, the question is in light of the global, uh, in light of the global techno recent technological advancements, how has the African tech e ecosystem evolved over the past few years? And what are some of the more salient trends from this evolution? Um, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would love to look maybe at the trend as it's uh, the past uh, five or six years. Definitely, I mean, financial services have been, I mean, taking the scene at, at large, even in terms of funding. And I'm sure Joshua would have like numbers uh, uh, looking at the financial sector. Uh, but I, I think what the, the progress that we are going and the trends that are happening, I think it, it still will uh, pour into the financial sector, but probably will move a little bit from the core, I would say, fintech, like neobanks, and, and we'll go to more into the embedded finance in other industries, like especially supply chains. Especially, I mean, during COVID, we've all seen like the problems in the supply chain. So most of the startups now, I think, are transforming a little bit and adding this layer of empowering the supply chain. And one of the core problems is definitely the financial part, the trade finance and uh, helping with the like working capital and so on to ensure that the, the chain and the cycle is, is, is going on. So I think one of the trends is that we will see the movement a little bit from the traditional financial services to the embedded finance and in different industries like B2B retail, supply chain, and other uh, sectors. Uh, globally, uh, I want to touch as well on, on AI and, and blockchain. And I think in, in Africa, it's we will be lagging in, in, in adopting in this technology because we have definitely much, much more deeper and core problems to solve. But I think, especially when you look at the crypto and blockchain, it's it's directed to a specific area, which is uh, core in and fundamental in Africa, which is global remittances. So uh, I think this will be maybe faster than other regions as well. And I think when you look at Nigeria, I think it's 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 not the top country, but at least one of the top three in terms of crypto adoption, just because of this core problem that they use this. Uh, blockchain and stablecoins infrastructure to enable them to do remittance and so on. So I think yeah, these are the the global trends and how it reflects and how we will see them like being adopted in in, in Africa. Absolutely no, um, you know, thank you both for those points. I, I definitely agree, and I think it's interesting that you brought up the um, 
you know, diversion of resources to, you know, supply chains and, and the idea that, you know, AI in Africa, okay, but blockchain in Africa, it's more essential and it's targeting some very core issues. And I think that's why you're seeing extremely high adoption rates in certain parts of the um, continent. Um, so for the next question, uh, we'll move to Mo and then Femi. So I'll give this question to Mo. Uh, the question is, um, from your perspective as investors, which sectors within the African tech landscape are demonstrating the most promise for substantial ROI? and also socioeconomic impact and why. And maybe we touched on this in the, the past question, um, but I think it's good to hear the perspective from other speakers. So Mo, go ahead. Thank you for that question, Ishan. Um, I guess it actually depends, right? Like more from an investor landscape, right? And like what sector that you're focused on, right? Like it's, it's, like it's not a one glove fits all sector, right? Like, because there's some companies in ed tech, right? Like, they're gonna have a like higher um, ROI like than some companies like in crypto, right? But so like, I think the best way, right, to look at this question is is more from a trends perspective, right? Like, so like, what are the trends, right? And which like industries are set to like benefit more like from these trends, right? And like Shadif like touched on this perfectly, right? Like, um, so I believe that right now, after, in, in 2007, right, Africa like counted for, I believe 15.27% of the population. And I think in 2050, like it's going to be like 21% of the population, right? So like there's a huge like um, um, population increase that's coming on, right? And with that, right, like in addition to that, 70% of the continent is going to be under the age of 30, right? So like with a young population, like the things that like usually work well are like consumer facing applications, right? Um, in gaming, um, in like ed tech, right? Um, crypto like has been... Um, has been explosive like throughout the continent right and but different facets of crypto right like especially those that actually solve solutions and those that make the lives of people easier right health tech right so with an increasing population right like you like uh like will need more healthcare as well right so like health tech right like is a super super big sector um as well right and then e-commerce as well right so like as the population right like develops right and given that africa has such a young population that many of us actually grew up um on our mobile phones right so so like but one thing that we still haven't really figured out yet is e-commerce right so jumia tried uh, and is still trying right but like we still need to figure out like like logistics right so like logistics is a big um sector as well right so like i would say right but like that there is potential like to be completely honest in in many of the sectors um like in africa right so all the way from from ed tech healthcare crypto fintech is obviously uh one of the most obvious ones right like um especially like when like people always talk about money coming out of africa into africa right but i think there's a huge 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 right like still problem within intra like africa trade right like, like for example right it takes ages right like up to a week uh to send money from nigeria to to benin uh but you can fly faster there right um you can hop on a plane and get there in two hours right so i think like there is a huge opportunity right to you know um shorten these these um transfer times to fintechs right i think investing right like is a is a, a huge landscape as well right so companies like bamboo right like like I've shown that like Africans do want to invest in stock, right? And yeah, so like, so um, just to summarize, I think 
the sectors uh, that I believe have the most potential um, over the next 10 to 15 years, right? Are consumer facing sectors as healthcare, um, ed tech, fintech, um, and then normal like B2B sectors as well, right? Just as like uh, money transfers and uh, crypto as well. Thank you. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Mo. Thank you for that. Um, definitely agree with, with a lot of things you said. Um, very quickly, we'll give this uh, question to Cam, um, Femi as well. Um, so the question was, from your perspective as investors, which sectors within the African tech landscape are demonstrating the most promise for substantial ROI and socioeconomic impact and why? Um, okay, so I'll, I'll touch on this quickly. A couple of months ago, I um, was actually working with the Brighter Bridges team on something similar. Uh, Joshua, this was your colleague Aziza, if you're confused. Um, but what we're trying to what we're trying to clarify is, you know, just looking at the number of deals vis-a-vis -vis the number of e exits. Can we kind of plot a ratio that makes sense where we can see ratio of deals to exits, right? Um, just based on the data we had on hand, um, we found that fintech. Um, um, fintech and I believe the second one was, I'm sorry, I just want to confirm the facts. Yeah, fintech was the highest, e-commerce as well. Um, some traction and interesting signs were coming from the logistics and e-commerce space, um, which is really not too far from what um, Moloku just said. Uh, so I hope we continue seeing those signs, but um, quite frankly, with the introduction of clean tech, which was another promising sector, um, we're still yet to see how things land, but I'll say as a high level, those five are some of the ones that came up. Absolutely, awesome. No, thank you for that. Um, so now we'll move on to uh, the next question just to make sure we're, we're on schedule. Um, so we're gonna give this question to William. Um, so the question is, uh, many experts liken the current African tech scene to Southeast Asia's ecosystem about 10 to 15 years ago. Um, based on your investment experience and insights, uh, to what extent do you agree or disagree with this comparison? Um, so we'll give this to William first. Great, no, thanks, uh, Ishan. I mean, I preface my answer by saying I'm not I'm not necessarily an expert um, on, on Southeast Asia uh, more than any other frontier market, but I'm always slightly reluctant, I think, to compare Africa if we can talk about Africa as sort of a homogenous mass um, to any other region. Uh, simply because I think the special thing about Africa, particularly from a tech perspective, but you know more from a startup um, perspective in general, is that it is a very fresh landscape and one that doesn't have the precipitations, let's say, when it comes in the financial sector to say banking, when it comes to um, you know the health and social sector that many other parts of the world have, uh, and that of course for a number of reasons. And I think the reason that that makes Africa so exciting is because, you know, it's fertile ground, ground as well as being fresh ground um, for a huge number of technological solutions and real sort of innovation, which is very difficult to supplant and, and implement elsewhere. So looking at, say, Southeast Asia and, you know, South America, I've, I've seen more commonly compared to Africa, particularly in, in, in recent months and years. Um, obviously, there are some common pain points and sort of common socioeconomic factors. But if you look at sort of the holistic landscape when it comes to, I think, opportunity and implementation potential, um, they are very, very different as far as I see it. Uh, so, yeah, certainly points of comparison. And I think, um, you know, scaling opportunities for, say, African startups to particularly South America um, and vice versa are super interesting. But at the same time, you know, like anywhere in the world, I think it's very important to remember that Africa is Africa, West Africa is West Africa, East Africa is East Africa. 
um, rather than you know frontier market to frontier markets, which is a, is a is a trap that I think particularly a lot of external observers fall into. Definitely, no. Thank you for that. I, I think that was very insightful. Um, and very quickly, uh, we'll give this question to Mo. Um, so the question was: Many experts, like in the the current African tech scene, to Southeast Asia's ecosystem ten to fifteen years ago. Based on your investment experience and insights, to what extent do you agree or disagree with this comparison? Um, so you have yes. a very brief, quick answer. Yes, I uh, completely agree. So, like, I've spent a lot of time um, in um, Southeast Asia, um, having grown up in Asia. Uh, yes. So, like, if you look at, you know, uh, what works, like what works in Africa now, like, like are things like that worked in Africa. Like are, like are are things that worked in Southeast Asia maybe like five or ten years ago, right? And the biggest example, and like sorry, like the biggest reason is because demographically it's the same, right? Like we have seventy percent of the population that is under the age of thirty in Southeast Asia. It's the same thing, right? Uh, like they have like some of the same structural uh, deficiencies uh, that we have as well, right? Sending money previously to Southeast Asia was super difficult, right? It's still very difficult in Asia. Um, sorry, super. It's still difficult in Africa right now, right? Secondly, right, like they have like a lot of the same infrastructure um, issues that we have. Like I think Africa has I think three banks or, or two banks per thousand people. Um, Asia, like five years ago, was around the same um, amount of number, right? And then mobile money, right, in um, in Southeast Asia, like everything is completely digital, right? Like everything is either to grab or to uh, go jack, right? Like it has kind of become like a cashless um, um, economy, right? And that's the same trend that we're looking at in um, Asia, right? So like if you look closely, right, like at the leading companies in both Africa and in Southeast Asia, like you would notice like a lot of um, similarities, right? And I think, right, that Southeast Asia benefited a lot from having China like next door and also having capital hubs of Hong Kong and Singapore um, as well, right? So that's what allowed it to really accelerate as fast as, like, as it did, right? Like, because it was such a big, like, import of capital, right? And that's exactly what we are witnessing um, in Africa as well. Awesome. Awesome. No, that was definitely uh, two interesting perspectives on that question. Um, so the next question we'll go to is, uh, we'll post this to Joseph. Um, and the question is, um, investing in any emerging market comes with its unique challenges and risks. Could you shed some light on some of the specific challenges associated with investing in African tech startups and how they might be mitigated? Um, so we'll go to Joseph first. Sure. Uh, thank you, Sean. So I think rather than speaking about Africa as a whole, it's probably good to differentiate and say that the risks and challenges of investing in various African countries can be different. So if you look at regulatory or political regimes within various countries, um, those pose their own challenges. So that can be anything from, you know, how do, does money remittance work in those countries how do I invest? How do I send money to, to a country or get money out of the, the country? Um, I think the regulatory and political risks are something to be very wary of. If there's change in political leadership, you know, that might affect uh, policies that relate to a, a tech business that, that you invest in, for example. So I think mitigating those risks really is just studying the market. 
Um, we really like to, when we invest in these countries, have uh, local partners or co-investors that we believe understand the market or have good connectivity to uh, kind of the regulatory landscape and, and understand how that works um, so that we gain a local perspective as well. I think one of the other challenges is basically because there can be the shifting regulatory and political landscape within these countries, um, we really focus on uh, business fundamentals. So are the businesses that we're investing in, especially in fintech, solving uh, very specific problems and um, they're useful for the populations, not just kind of like another derivative of some platform that, that worked somewhere else in the world. So I think that those are those are two things we look at and how we mitigate um, that those risks. Secondly, um, I think that in various countries, uh, we see entrepreneurs with different backgrounds that maybe aren't necessarily kind of the traditional check the box uh, kind of due diligence process. So we really like to do character reference checks. We look at, you know, has this founder started businesses before? Um, and we try to mitigate the risk of just kind of different profile of entrepreneurs um, that way. So I think it's very nuanced by kind of where you're investing, what subsector you invest in, but uh, very broadly, uh, those are some of the factors that we look at. Thank you. No, that, that was awesome. And I just want to highlight some things you, you, you said, like working with local partners, investing with local talent, um, and then also, you know, identifying and um, deploying in favorable regulatory environments. Um, so thank you for that. And very quickly, we'll go to William. Uh, so the William, the question was, um, investing in any emerging market comes with its unique challenges and risks. Could you shed, shed some light on the specific challenges associated in investing in African tech startups and how they may be mitigated? Yeah, so I mean, I, I agree with everything Joseph said, and I think, um, you know, they're, they're really key points, but I'm going to approach this question from a slightly different angle, um, which is more, I guess, speculation risk or, or just sort of investment risk. Um, as I sort of touched on in my, in my last answer, I think one of the new, unique challenges about Africa is the local knowledge it requires particularly with respect to the pain points, but also due to the markets, how the consumer operates, you know, particularly in B2C solutions. And one trend that I've noticed recently, as I think there's been more of a global interest in Africa, is maybe a, an overexcitement, let's say, from a lot of international investors about seemingly African solutions, um, which are either somewhat overdone or, or saturated within their respective markets, or alternatively, not fit or, or right for the actual market. Um, and you know these companies can raise a lot of money simply because there's not that local qualitative assessment, um, you know, from a lot of international uh, um, funds. So I would say that having that knowledge uh, is a great mitigator, and to a certain extent, I think unlocks many valuable insights as to the risks, whether they be political, um, you know, consumer-based, or alternatively, uh, just you know, when it comes to thinking about an exit. And so for any prospective investor in Africa, I would, I would say, you know, as much ground presence, as Joseph said, local partnership or otherwise exposure to the founders, the companies and the challenges they're addressing um, goes a long way, I think, to actually creating a, a safer and potentially more stable investment thesis. Absolutely. No, that, those are two uh, great answers and perspectives. Um, so we will we'll be going to the next question. Uh, so we'll be giving this question to um, Joshua to start, and then we'll give it to uh, Joseph. Uh, Mo, you had your hand up? Yes, I just wanted to quickly just add, 
uh, to what Joshua and William um, have said, right? So there's a Chinese quote uh, that goes, uh, in muddy waters, you find the best fish, right? So like, I think in emerging markets, especially Africa, Latin America and Southeast Asia, there's a lot of perceived risk, right? But our jobs as investors, right, is to develop the right frameworks, right, that allow us to mitigate those risks, right? And and like and really like zeroing on, right, on on like what works, right? What is actually innovation, what is a solution, and what's not just a copy-paste, right, from like other markets, right? And I think that's how we find like um, invest like that's how we find investments that really like return 10, 100, uh, 20,000 X, right? So like, I think like in emerging markets is where you can really find investments that can return a whole fund, like as compared to like Western markets, right? Like where, where like it's gotten increasingly saturated. Absolutely. Um, no, thank, thank you for that, Mo. Um, so yeah, uh, the, so the question, we'll give this to Joshua first. Um, so the question is, given the diverse regulatory environments across African countries, how do investors and startups navigate these legal frameworks to ensure compliance while also fostering innovation? Uh, so we'll give this to Joshua first, and then we'll give it to uh, Joseph. Um, thanks, Ishan. So um, I think part of my re uh, response will really be be just reiterating um, Joseph's, um, you know, um, thoughts towards um, de-risking, um, you know, specific markets around, you know, policy and political um, issues. So I think it's very important for investors and startups alike to invest in, in information, um, in local knowledge and awareness, and, and very practically just hire people who are on the ground, who are knowledgeable, um of what the political policy scenarios of, of, of the markets in which you're operating. Um in my experience so far is that the the most adverse effects of, of regulation policy are usually somewhat political in nature, right? Mm. A government does not like you, they just take you down, they shut shut you down immediately. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you know the laws you really don't. Um, but secondly, it's very important to invest in, in relationships, right? I think Africa is a continent that is built on built on trust, right? You have to know people. Um, at least if if you've been in Kenya, that's that's a pretty popular saying. You you know you need to know people, um, because you know, for example, in particular sectors, getting licenses might be a very expensive affair. It might be a time consuming affair. But if you know people, then um, that might be um, an easier process for you. So that's very important. Investing in in, in relationships, partnerships as well. Um, don't be everyone's enemy just because you're trying to disrupt a sector, right? You know, right. your 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 incumbent banks might be your best friend in terms of uh, assuring of your scalability across different markets. Then also investing in the all borrowing. Um, uh, you know, functions of a business such as, you know, public relations, uh, policy affairs, and, you know, uh, advocacy, being part of this advocacy. This has worked really well, especially for the renewables and, and clean tech space in, in Kenya, right? Startup companies, you know, being darlings of the, of the government, getting favorable laws that, you know, allow them to get tax incentives and all of that. Um, 
Yeah, no, Joshua, thank you for that answer. I love, I love that answer um, and very, very insightful. Um, so we'll, we'll also give this question to uh, Joseph. Um, I think you already touched on aspects of that in the, the prior question. So, um, you know, no need to be redundant on, but would definitely like to hear um, your perspective on this, this question. Uh, the question is, given the diverse regulatory environments across African countries, how do investors and startups navigate these legal frameworks to ensure compliance while also fostering innovation? Yeah, thanks, Yushan. Um, I think with my previous answer and Joshua's answer, we've covered a lot of the ground on this question. Um, but probably just reiterating, I think having um, one of the most useful things that we've been able to build are relationships with entrepreneurs on the ground in various uh, countries or cities where they're operating, operating there on a day-to-day -day basis. They see how various regulatory bodies or political bodies are acting towards um, towards their businesses and whether or not those policies are stated or not stated by the, the government bodies, um, the entrepreneurs really can feel the environment that they're operating in. So we like to partner with the entrepreneurs, uh, really kind of understand what they're seeing, but also going and visiting ourselves, you know, going, traveling, uh, spending weeks at a time in, in various locations gives huge amount of information. Um, and so then I think the, the last piece really is just about investing in businesses that probably will survive changes in regulatory frameworks. Um, and there is always the risk that a government doesn't like you and they shut you down. But generally, you know, business models that are strong and solve real pain points or problems um, are kind of the way to de-risk a lot of the, the challenges with, with the regulatory frameworks. Wow, uh, definitely two fantastic answers there. Um, I, yes, that I completely agree. I think solving real issues, um, making sure you're not everyone's enemy um, and relationships. I, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of alpha in some of these answers um, that we're hearing. So the next question, uh, we're going to give this to uh, Sharif um, and then Joshua. So the question is, um, what specific strategies or best practices have you adopted or observed that are effective in identifying, supporting, and scaling um, successful African tech startups? Uh, so we'll give this to Sharif first, and then we'll go to Joshua. Uh, I, I think for me, it has been connecting to the local uh, ecosystem in different countries. So um, whenever like we we start focus on investing in a specific region or country, I mean the, the first thing I think that helps a lot connecting to the local ecosystem, starting from the accelerator and incubator and other local VCs, engine networks, and so on. Because this helps as well a lot in um, understanding the local problems and uh, the the whole ecosystem in general. Uh, also, I think nothing beats in-person uh, like interactions. So uh, even though the past two years, I mean, most of the investments we have done it, I mean, behind the screen over Zoom, but uh, I think uh, spending time in, in, in different countries, uh, a couple of weeks getting the feel of this local country before investing, for me was key and uh, it's something that I love to do. I, I love traveling in general across Africa, so it's something that 
I enjoy doing like spending some time in East Africa to understand the ecosystem, then West Africa and so on. Uh, but definitely, I mean, connecting to the local system is uh, the local ecosystem is, is key. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so now we're gonna give this question to uh, Joshua. Um, so just re reiterating the question, uh, what specific strategies or best practices have you adopted or observed that are effective in identifying, supporting, and scaling successful African tech startups? I think, um, thanks. So I think investors are increasingly becoming more proactive as compared to being reactive, right? So gone are the days where you, you just have an analyst sitting by the desk, waiting for pictures on, on email and reviewing those and sending them to IC, right? Um, as Sheriff mentioned, it's all about connecting with the ecosystem, um, being driven by the why, understanding your mandate, understanding the problem that your fund is actually trying to solve and finding entrepreneurs who fit that bill, right? Um, I think that has worked recently really well. Um, and we can attribute this to the rise of, of, of the venture builder model, right? Um, and we're already seeing kind of the incumbent or traditional investors backing venture builders to, to take on, on this problem or support entrepreneurs who attract very specific problems. Um, but secondly, I think, um, you know, as, as a way to support founders, uh, I, I think it still goes back to the boring old, um, you know, uh, functions within a business that are often overlooked. So investors really helping you know, portfolio companies with with the basic uh, corporate governance structures, you know, um, operations, um, you know, technology and and hiring. Yeah. I think that's that has been very critical and very important in to, in terms of just supporting companies, um, and and founders who might not have that experience in, in building, but they are really talented and and solving the right problems. Absolutely. Um, thank you for that. Uh, so we will, uh, we'll go to the next question. So we're going to give this to Femi, um, and then Sharif. Uh, so the question is, um, the African tech landscape is often touted as leapfrogging, a leapfrogging economy, uh, bypassing certain stages of technology to adopt more advanced systems. Um, how does this notion impact investment perspectives, startup growth, and overall tech industry evolution in Africa? Thank you, Sean. Um, so I I think I can see the leapfrogging perspective to a certain degree. I mean, uh, I believe Sheriff had mentioned some of these points around the age. This, um, so the median age of in Africa is about 18.8. Um, we're a pretty young um, continent. And with the interconnected nature of the internet and technology as a whole, um, you see a lot of operators and even consumers on the African continent getting access to a lot of the latest innovations and being able to at least test them out in some way, shape or form. Um, so from an investor perspective, you know, seeing prospective startups and also alumni kind of staying on the pulse of latest innovations is encouraging. Um, however, I, I think for this leapfrogging in quotes to really translate into tangible solutions, um, there are a lot of um, enabling factors that need to be put in place for you to really see um, real growth. Um, so things around, well, I'll, I'll say the right regulation. So um, I, I don't want to box Africa into one bucket, but across the different markets, you know, having the right regulations, um, the right level of digital literacy, the right level of education, the right wage rates, the right purchasing power, all of these things um, come into play to capitalize on any technological leapfrogging that we're seeing. 
Um, and for this to really happen, we need a cross-sectional, um, cross-stakeholder um, approach where, you know, not just operators, but investors, um, accelerator, um, accelerator um, organizers and um, governmental agencies, regulators kind of need to come together to create the right enabling environment to make it happen. If not, we will just be seeing that these technological innovations are happening. Some certain aspects of the market will be testing it out, but it won't really lead to tangible solutions for those on the ground. Interesting. Uh, absolutely. I, I think definitely to get that degree of leapfrogging. So I'll give you an example. In China, right, I think most people maybe did not grow up with the landline. They went straight to the cell phone, right? And I think they leapfrogged that, that phase in technology. And I, I think what you're saying is it takes a combinatorial approach from you know, the government, accelerators, tech, investors, everything to actually get that true leapfrogging effect. And I think it, to some degree, you don't want to oversimplify, uh, you know, saying leapfrogging. But so so thank you for that. I think that was great. And we'll, we'll pose this very quickly uh, to Sharif again. Uh, so the, the question was, the African tech landscape is often touted as a leapfrog economy, bypassing certain stages of technology to adapt more advanced systems. How does this notion impact investment perspectives, startup growth, growth, and overall tech industry evolution in Africa? Yeah, I, I think the, it goes all back to the uh, the the, the untapped uh, opportunity and uh, and also the lack of infrastructure. So, for example, when you look at mobile penetration, for example, this this took a leapfrog just because of access. I mean. People were not actually comparing that we have a fixed line at home, let's have a mobile. They went from zero communication. They don't have a, a fixed connection. They don't have a phone at home. According, they don't have internet and anything. So this caused, yeah, this jump in, and uh, it reflected on the adoption, I think. The adoption of services. Once you don't have a zero access and the technology is being there, giving you access, you run, you run to this technology. The same happened with financial services, and that's why as well it was fast. Uh, it's not like trying to uh, add a different channel where people are banked, they go to a bank, physical brick and mortar bank, but now we're giving you the option to use online uh, banking or mobile banking. Actually, they went from zero. They, they didn't have any bank account. They were totally 100% unbanked, then they took this leap and they had an option to use mobile technology, mobile money and mobile payments and so on. So I think the lack of infrastructure uh, definitely pushed. And again, from, from investment perspective, that's, that's a good thing for the beginning, for the start. But as Femi said, to transform into something meaningful, definitely we need to see the regulation working and capitalizing actually on these massive adoptions. If it's not there, probably we tend to slow down because uh, if the regulation is not there, it will hit a certain threshold and not be able to expand beyond it. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Uh, so the next question, uh, we're going to go and we're going to start with Femi. Uh, the question is, uh, global tech trends often dictated by Silicon Valley or Twitter or other, you know, other entities um, shape many investment decisions, right? So in your experience, how do these trends translate to the African context and what are the key considerations for both entrepreneurs and investors? Um, and when I say Twitter, I, I'm talking in the Web3 sense. So you see a lot of new primitives, new ideas, you know, coming from uh, crypto Twitter. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just touch on this briefly. I, there's a joke I keep, I crack that when, um, I mean, I live in Lagos, but um, the name of the airport is Moritala Mohammed. That when you fly into Lagos and you get to Moritala Mohammed, whatever idea you had, if it was green coming to Moritala, it enters Lagos red, right? Because um, the nature of the landscape is such that I think it's it's important that we understand what trends are available, but it's also super important to practicalize it to the local landscape. And I can't stress this enough. Um, so both for investors and actually um, and um, operators, you know, whatever innovations you're seeing within the Web3 space, whether, whether it's um, means of delivery, um, kind of technology, new blockchain that you want to explore, whatever it is, um, as long as it doesn't speak to the real needs and needs vary from market to market, but needs on those on the African landscape, it really falls flat because the truth is the customers don't care about Web3. They don't care about the technology. They just care about their, their pain points being solved, right? So whether or not it's Web3 or any, any, any form of innovation really, um, practicalizing it to a very simple solution that those on ground can understand um, is absolutely important, especially if you're coming um, from a more mature client with that concept. I can't stress this enough. Please practicalize it to local context. <laughs> well, makes perfect sense. Um, absolutely. I think that's, there's the alpha right there. Um, and then very quickly, because uh, we're running short on time, we're going to give this to Mo. Um, so Mo, do you want to take a stab at the question? Just, just to reiterate, Global tech trends often dictated by Silicon Valley or Twitter um, shape many investment decisions in your experience. How do these trends translate to the African context? And what are key considerations for both entrepreneurs and investors? Um, I don't think that they translate um, at all, right? Because I, I think Femi explained it perfectly um, that the trends don't really, you know, like, Okay, so like there are trends like that work globally and that work conceptually, but in real life and practically, like I don't really think they translate to like anything, right? And and like Femi like said it best, right? Like like I think the best solutions that work in Africa, especially in Web3, are those solutions that actually solve the pain points of customers or improve existing inefficiencies. Perfect. Yeah, no, absolutely. You need to make sure that um, you're, you're building something useful for society and, and people need what whatever you're building is is solving someone's pain point. Otherwise, you know, people won't use it in the, in the variety of issues. Um, so the next question uh, we're going to pose to William um, and then Mo very quickly. So the question, William, is um, would global VC firms like Y Combinator emphasizing certain tech sectors? Um, it, it's a it's sometimes when I come up with these questions, uh, George and I come up with these questions, you guys answer them and then they become a bit redundant, but we'll hear everyone's different spin on this. Um, with global VC firms like Y Combinator emphasizing certain tech sectors, to what extent should African entrepreneurs align their ventures with these trends, right? So for example, AI, right? Or, or, or any other like hot trend right now. And then how should the context of Africa influence the investment thesis and strategy? Um, so I know we've touched on it, but William, what's your spin? Yeah, so I guess it, it's a bit of an extension of, of what we just uh, just discussed. But, um, you know, sort of carrying on, I think, from, from Kami, uh, Femi's very correct point um, is that the majority of solutions, you know, particularly B2C solutions, are good only insofar as there is a C, a consumer to actually use them, right? So 
I think you have to go consumer first, you have to go um, user first. And, you know, taking a, a sort of a broad stroke look at the African consumer, I think felt particularly acutely in Nigeria, but is the case across the continent, is that technology and time are two things that most people don't necessarily have as a premium, um, such that you need to be very aware of, you know, what consumer trends are and what's actually going to motivate someone to use your solution in the first place. Um, in, in addition to that, I, I, I would also add that... Um, I think the best way of, of, of putting it is that, um, you know, you have to be acutely aware, I think, of, of, of sort of the importance in Africa of actually solving a pain point insofar as um, there is a difference. Whereas I think particularly in, say, more developed markets, uh, there's something of an investor consciousness when it comes to founders insofar as what are the investor trends? How will this most, you know, most easily enable me to, to earn money? Uh, but I think in frontier markets, and particularly in Africa, um, the question that should be posed instead is what pain points is this solving and how is this going to attract users? And I think just to sort of wrap up very quickly, one thing that I've noticed really over the past three or four months is particularly within Nigeria, there's been a big trend away from B2C solutions and more towards B2B. So if we look at lending, for example, we see that a lot of former consumer lending platforms are now going B2B2C at most. Um, simply because, you know, it's far safer and far easier to onboard businesses. But what we are seeing in their sort of turn to do that is that obviously there's a bit of a glass ceiling um, because there's only so many businesses on board, but you can onboard, but not say there's no cap on the number of consumers. And it is typically those consumer products that do very, very well. You know, the Flutterwaves and the 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 um, um, the Paystacks of the world. Uh, so it's sort of, again, to, to, to wrap up and sum up, I think that, you know, looking at trends is, is great in some markets and obviously works maybe outside of the continent. But if you really want to look at sort of the companies that do well and um, can scale and can grow, uh, it has to be a consumer centric approach. Um, and, you know, that I think is the first consideration uh, for any African startup and I guess by extension investor. Thank you, William. Um, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think um, uh, next time around, I got to maybe make these questions a little bit diverse because I think they converge to some of the same um, same points you've all, all come to. Um, and then, Mo, very quickly, um, do you have anything to add to this question? Um, so just to reiterate, with global firms, VC firms like Y Combinator emphasizing certain tech sectors, to what extent should African entrepreneurs align their ventures with these trends? And then how should the context of the African influence, um, or how should the context of Africa influence the investment thesis? So um, I believe that African founders should focus on Af on solving African problems and and not following global trends, right? Because like like there are plenty um, of examples like of companies um, that I do not want to name that I've tried to uh, follow global trends and tried to build companies in Africa and I've just crashed and burned, right? Because I think the focus right should be on solving solutions right and i believe that's where the real opportunity comes from right and that's where the real shareholder equity comes from not by following global trends because what necessarily works in the u.s doesn't work in africa and what works in africa certainly doesn't work in the u.s right i think founders need to have a really really deep understanding of the market have an understanding of their consumers and have an understanding of their pain points, right? And then try to solve those pain points to their solutions, right? And this, and this applies to founders in Web2 and uh, Web3 as well. Absolutely, um, thank you. Um, and now uh, we have two questions left. Um, so we're gonna give this to uh, Joseph first and then William. Um, so 
to avoid, you know, being over overly redundant, I'm going to emphasize two two aspects of the question. But it is uh, in the context of diverse African markets, what criteria do you prioritize when evaluating the scalability and growth potential of African tech companies? So focus your answer more on, you know, the scalability and growth potential because I think we've covered some of the other things. Um, and, and Joseph, you can go first. Yeah, sure. Um, so scalability and growth potential, we we look at this um, kind of the total addressable market is is always the proxy. So we see in the growth and scalability, there's a couple of ways to think about it. So if a company is being started in a country with much smaller population, then we would underwrite and uh, ensure that thesis could potentially be spread uh, regionally and outside of that specific country. Um, if it's a solution that's started within a country that has a massive number of people or population, um, let's say like you know Nigeria, the most populous country, we would emphasize the regional expansion a little bit less if there was total addressable market um, within that country that, that we felt was sufficient to grow a, a good business. I think um, with the growth and scalability, a lot of the companies that we see that succeed have good unit, unit economics from day one. So they're able to either have very high gross margins or they're able to be profitable for at a very early stage. Because if you have startups that are um, predicated on raising additional capital in order to continue their growth, I think that's a little bit risky in um, emerging markets or frontier markets. So we really look at the, the good unit economics and the self-sustaining nature of these companies. Um, secondly is the quality of the entrepreneur and their ability to go to market, build a business development function. Do they have the requisite um, relationships within their customer segment? So, you know, if they're selling into banks or fintechs, do they know how to do that? And this really is about the growth and scalability of a company. Um, because oftentimes you can have a, a great piece of technology, but um, the team can't sell it or implement it into the customer base. So I think um, those are some of the primary considerations that we take into account when we're looking at the growth and scalability. Um, but of, of course, it becomes quite nuanced as you get into specific investment cases. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Joseph. Um, and, and then we're gonna we're gonna give um, William a stab at this question. So uh, the question was: in the context of diverse African markets, what criteria do you prioritize when evaluating the scalability and growth potential of African tech companies? Um, so William, go ahead. Yeah, got it. Um, I mean, I, I think within an African context, I often prefer to talk about sort of market that can be captured rather than addressed necessarily, because one problem I I find a lot of founders have is you know they talk about say banking the unbanked a phrase which which I think is largely meaningless um, or alternatively sort of you know addressing Nigeria as, as a, a, a total addressable market but within all of these regions or countries there's various multifaceted layers there's different groups there's different demographic segments um, all of which have different needs um, I think that sort of addressing those segments or those layers is far more valuable when it comes to assessing um, scalability. So an example recently was a company that we were speaking to in northern Nigeria. Uh, it was Hauser focused, worked only in the northern states. Now, obviously, on paper, that's a far smaller total addressable market than, say, going for Nigeria or West Africa as a whole. But at the same time, if you look at the company's ability to capture the northern Nigerian market um, wholesale, 
more so than say a, a regional or countrywide company could, it suddenly becomes a far more interesting prospect in the same way that you know, if you had a, a, a platform that was targeted towards a, a, a niche, albeit nonetheless um, uh, financially influential segment of, of a certain market or country or region, um, I think it, it again becomes more, much more interesting from a, a scalability perspective. So I think, you know, beyond what um, Joseph had mentioned, reading between the lines to a large extent and actually looking at the, I guess, social, regional or, or, or cultural niceties that a company is hitting or targeting um, is a great way of, of, of assessing perhaps more accurately, um, it's real growth potential. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that, William. Um, and then now we're going to go to our last question. Um, and then um, we're going to wrap things up with some closing remarks. Uh, so we'll give this question uh, to Joshua first and then Joseph. Uh, so the question is, looking a decade into the future, um, how do you envision, envision the African tech landscape? What sectors, technology, or trends will define the continent's digital economy? Um, so Joshua, uh, go ahead. Uh, thanks, Shen. Um, I usually try to avoid this question because um, history just finds a, a way of embarrassing me. Um, and I know sometime next year, I'll definitely be wrong. Um, but I'll take the easy way out here. And, and just base my response on, on kind of the recent market scale signals that we've been picking up. Now, I think who, he who pays the piper calls the team. And right now, most of the resources are geared towards climate and climate technology, climate finance. So you, you'll see a lot of that. You'll see a lot of funding volumes being you know, put into that. So yeah, like definitely, yes. <laughs> um, you know, activity within that space will be um, you know, increased within the next, um, you know, uh, year or so. But secondly, I would want to point out a, a sector that has, or a business model that has largely been overlooked, and that is business to government. Um, we are slowly starting to uh, kind of notice a pickup in terms of um, the number of business, digital businesses that are trying to solve for treasury and solve um, central banking issues, right? Um, especially around forex and, and currency um, around the continent. So I think that will be um, kind of a particular technology business model that will shape the next decade, if not you know the near term. Thank you. Um, I think we're. Uh, I, I really like your um, your answer for that and how you kind of. Uh, the more diplomatic answer. Um, so I, I actually want to give this question to everyone very quickly. So we're going to move on, uh, give it to um, Femi. Femi, go ahead. Um, and the question was, looking a decade into the future, how do you envision the African tech landscape? What sectors, technology, or trends will define the continent's digital economy? Um, I was laughing when Joshua said he avoids this question because I, I avoid <laughs> the question. Um, but I, I, I can say in my personal opinion, some things that I'm, I'm excited about. I'm excited about seeing how um, the innovation within the SME. So SMEs in Africa make up about 90% of the businesses on the continent. Um, um, with the age of the demographic, the growing trends around smartphone and internet penetration, 
I think it'll be super interesting to see how innovation within that space continues to grow, especially with these new technologies that are popping up. I have seen a number of amazing Web3 solutions that are catering to either trade finance or supply chain, whatever it is. And I think it will continue. Um, I think that that SME space in itself is one thing that I'm particularly looking forward to. I think another thing, and, and this one in Africa requires a lot of um a lot of top-down governmental intervention. Um, the insurance space in, in, in Africa is largely untapped. In Nigeria, definitely drastically untapped. Um, and I think that um, there are a few governmental initiatives that are popping up around the continent to drive uptake of insurance products, um, especially when you're looking at B2C. But um, seeing how that space develops over the next decade will be super interesting. Um, I can't particularly speak to a particular direction that things are going to go. I know we're going to have more unicorns if that's an answer, but um, in terms of spaces that I'm super excited about, I think those are the ones that I'm, I'm looking to see what happens. Awesome. Um, thank you for that. So now we'll give this question uh, to uh, Joseph. Uh, so just to reiterate, uh, looking a decade into the future, how do you envision the African tech landscape? What sectors, technology, or trends will define the continent's digital economy? Yeah, I, I was also laughing at uh, Joshua's caveat. So I'm going to use the same. Uh, <laughs> um, so I would say our fund is mostly focused on blockchain and Web3 investments. And we've seen recently a very interesting trend where blockchain technology and stable coins, um, customer wallets, decentralized applications are all being adopted at massive rates uh, within markets kind of across the continent. So, you know, if I was to say in 10 years, um, I would argue that probably a lot of these technologies are being implemented, but mostly on the back end of like really functional uh, consumer applications that allow people to remit money, have Forex um, transactions, cross-border <laughs> things. So um, I believe that probably a lot of what we're seeing in the tech investments in, in the Web3 blockchain space um, will be abstracted away over time, but they'll be kind of core pieces of of the tech that allows, um, you know, African citizens to um, live kind of more efficient lives in, in a lot of ways. But that's kind of what I would see and uh, aligned with our investment pieces uh, at CMT. Awesome. Thank you for that. And then uh, we're going to pose the same question to uh, Sharif very quickly. Um, so, you know, do, do I need to repeat the question or... or um... Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I think that yeah, um or maybe, maybe I'm biased because I'm 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 very much into you know uh, seeing trade happening between different African countries, especially with the African continental free trade agreement. So I think uh we'd see like more startups trying to solve around the digital trade enabling and how to make sure that we're uh we're seeing trade happening between the 54 countries. Uh, when you look at any country now in Africa, I don't think the, the, the constitute of African or inter-African trade wouldn't be less than, wouldn't be more than 5% from the GDP. The majority of the business, the trade and everything is happening outside the continent. So uh, I think yeah, digital trade enabling sector, uh, it's a trend that uh, I think we'll see the next booming, the next 10 years. Um, thank you for that. And then we'll go, uh, very quickly to, uh, Mo, um, Mo, if you want to give your thoughts on the, on the question. 
Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm super bullish uh, on, uh, on um, Africa and uh, emerging markets um, in general. I think in the next 10 years, right, like in the next 10 to 15 years, I think those that ignore Africa and um, other emerging markets will be at, like, it will be at their own peril, right? Because I think in the next 10 years, we'll see, like, as we've seen, like, in the last 10 years, right, like, we're seeing a much bigger spotlight on Africa, right? There's so much more money coming in, right? There's so much more innovation coming in, right? Like, we have, like, I believe that we have some of the most resilient founders, right, who were, like, like to like to whom nothing was given right they had to hustle and and like make um like everything themselves right like notwithstanding regulation notwithstanding you know uh, uh lack of venture capital right and i believe like these other founders like they can go over and and like not only dominate in emerging markets but that can dominate like globally as well right so like like just as we've seen with like zipline right so like i like so like i think like we'll see more african innovations going globally right like i see like like i believe that we'll see more um, um african companies list as well i think we'll see more um mna as well right so like i'm super super bullish on um the future of not only africa but but the same thing for latin america like um and the same thing for uh, Southeast Asia. So uh, the last thing I would like to say is ignore Africa at your own risk. Uh, awesome, love that answer. Um, yeah, so we're gonna, uh, and then William, uh, can you take your, uh, give your perspective on the question and then we'll wrap things up. And yeah, I just wanna be respectful for everyone's time. Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll be super quick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, agreeing of course with, with what everyone said, um, at the same time, you know, it's important not to jump the gun, I think when it comes to sort of African markets at large in the sense that, you know, we, Africa still needs to go from zero to one before it necessarily goes from one to 10. So on that basis, you know, in the past couple of years, and I think over the next 10 years, um, really focusing on those areas that are essential and um, are already proven within Africa and building on top of them uh, is very important. So if we look at, for example, the unicorns and the companies that are really booming, a lot of them focus around payments simply because in any society, country, region, people always need money. Um, and, you know, we've mentioned supply chain, for example, uh, that links very closely with the likes of, you know, commodities, agriculture. Um, which again will always be bread and butter and foundational. So I think to a certain extent, building from the ground up and you know beginning with tangible use cases, tangible solutions, and sort of seeing what works from that perspective um, is not only consumer centric, because I think everyone has sort of been been touching on the course of this conversation, um, but at the same time, you know, a lot safer purely because there is a basis and there is a, a, a use case there. So I think from that perspective and from a, a very much a, a pain point and, and consumer first focus. Uh, it's beginning with those core industries and uh, looking at sort of what can be built on top of them as a starting point for the next decade. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, William. Uh, I think that's a good way to wrap things up. Um, and I just want to thank the panelists uh, for coming and taking the time out of your day. I've learned a lot. I think everyone in the audience learned a lot. Um, I, I think this is very insightful and um, just want to appreciate very, very appreciative of you guys taking the time to come here um, and give your thoughts. Um, George, if you wanted to give any, uh, um, any closing remarks um, and then we can wrap things up. And I just want to say thank you for all the panelists again uh, for taking the time. Um, I, I learned a lot from that. It was very insightful. We'll do our best to um, 
process the recording and then circulate that with all the attendees. Um, and we'll also circulate um, some contact details just for the guys at <clears throat> LinkedIn URLs for the guys who are on the panel. I'm sorry that we didn't manage to get to all of the questions um, that were, were sent. So what I suggest you do, if you can reach out to us, um, reach out to me, george at adiverse.co, and we can do our best to answer some of those questions because some of them are pertinent to, to investors that we can have a go at. But um, if you want to get in touch, please do reach out to us. If you're pitching, uh, pitch at adiverse.co. Um, and feel free to also follow us on, on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and the other guys as well on the panel. Um, so thank you once again, and I hope everyone got a lot of value from this. Yep. All right. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Have a uh, wonderful evening and morning and, yeah, wonderful rest of your day. Thanks. Ciao. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Build Up Africa. If you'd like to learn more about Adiverse, please head over to adiverse.co. If you'd like to pitch for investment, please email a copy of your pitch deck, as well as an overview of your company to pitch at adiverse.co. You can listen to Build Up Africa on YouTube, Medium, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. See you guys next time.